It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning, amen? Uh, Brother Sean's on vacation, mentioned that a little bit earlier, and so uh, the opportunity to preach today. Sorry for y'all, but uh, I think I saw some people leave them this morning when they found out. Speaking of people leaving, are the Delks still here? No, just kidding. Uh, I always say it's easy to talk to the teenagers, they're a little less judgmental and uh, a little bit more forgiving, and... um, uh, but it's good to, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to preach. Uh, we're going to look at this a little bit later, but Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 we're, is where we're going to be. And it'll be a little bit before we get there. Um, really talking about this idea of surrender, it's been something that's really been in my mind all probably about the last month or so. In our fifth quarters, we do a little devotion, Bible study, uh, when we have our fifth quarter for about five, ten minutes. And been kind of talking about it, little, little points here and there. Uh, along uh, this uh, school year, um, but knowing that I was going to preach at some point, kind of keeping this together as it's been working on in and through me. Uh, but I kind of want to share a little story. So I've, I've taken up golf about six months ago. Um, it's humbling for sure if you've played golf. Uh, I played Friday. Uh, I've never hit a birdie, I've, I've parred once. Um, and uh, hole number, if you played at Diamond City, hole number two, I was like, I'm just going to hit my driver. I played it light up on the green, rolled down a little bit. I'm 15 feet away, and I three-putted it. So I didn't even get far. Um, keeps you humble. Keeps, keeps you humble for sure, especially when you have to walk through the woods to find a ball. Uh, that'll, that'll keep you humble. Uh, but <laughs> some of you know a story back in September. Al's here. I'm going to blame Kenny because he's not here, so we'll, we'll pick on Kenny a little bit. Um, but... Uh, that was really the kind of the, the first time I really played a full 18 in the first day we play, actually played 36 holes of golf and doing pretty good, especially my second round. I was doing really, really well. We were, we were actually hitting about six under. And uh, for some of you know, I lost my keys. Uh, I realized they were missing after the 15th hole and um, panic set in, right? One, I'm an hour and a half away from home. My wife went ahead and went to Missouri to visit our daughter. So I'm thinking, my keys are gone. How am I going to get home? That's my first worry. And then I have a lot of keys on my key ring. And uh, fortunately, I thought I left them on a putting green because I was doing so well. And I got excited and just, just you know, I, I had put my keys down. I thought I left them on a putting green. So these are my keys. And, uh, and I... And I don't, I don't, I don't, I remember putting them on a putting green, but apparently that's not where they were found, according to what was, was said. So, um, and it just so happened on, on one hole, uh, they were found over by the blue tees. If you know that that's where the, the pros hit from the blue tees. And I must have been hitting from the blue tees to give everybody a better chance of beating me. Um, but, uh, I don't know if it's going to stay there or not. But I, I lost the keys. And so the only thing I can think about for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes or so is, uh, where are my keys at? And fortunately, uh, Kenny and Al found my keys. Uh, Russell, Russell, I play golf with Russell a lot, and I tend to leave stuff behind. Um, and, you know, golf clubs, stuff, whatever, cell phone. And so uh, Russell had saw my keys, and, and then thank goodness for Al and Kenny, they kept my keys safe. Even when I asked for them back, uh, they, they still had them. But I... I did not ask the proper question. I thought I left them on the putting green, but not in the tee box, and that's the story, and that's what they're sticking to. Um, but those last three holes, I was really frantic. Then I just, I'm just hitting balls in the water in the woods, and I'm just like, I need to get this over with so I can figure out life 
uh, without keys. And, and what I'm going to do. And then, you know, then everybody starts looking, and then that's when Kenny and I are like, hey, we've got your keys. Uh, they were going to move my car, try to put the keys back in my golf bag, and I never put the keys in the golf bag. And that would have really, if, had, if y'all had done that, my mind would have been blown on how they got into my golf bag. Uh, which I realize is just like a man purse. That bag's got like 15 pockets in it to put all your stuff in. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about that this morning. I just, you can just put all kinds of stuff in a golf bag. Snacks, drinks, um, all your other stuff. And, you know, it got me really thinking about, about my keys. And, you know, have, have y'all ever lost your keys? Have y'all ever lost, like, I don't know, your wallet? Your kids? Have y'all lost your kids? Uh, my, my son's not here. He says we lost him in Ikea one time. That's not true, uh, but he, he, he thinks that. Um, but when you lose something, it, you know, you just get panicked, and what are you going to do? So I just want you to hold on that idea while we look at the scripture uh, this morning. We'll get back to the, the keys here uh, in a minute. But Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, we're going to go through verse, um, verse 12 to start with. And most of you are probably familiar with this passage. Uh, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring, bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard his voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see nothing. And leading him by hand, they brought him into Damascus. And there he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Uh, And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. You know, this idea of surrender... Uh, is probably something that us as human beings, as people, don't really like too much. Because we probably equate the word surrender with having to give up. And usually that's forcefully, right? Uh, If you have kids, you said, hey, turn the TV off or give me that remote or give me your phone, give me your tablet. And they have to what? They have to surrender it to you. And if they don't, kids, what happens? Usually get in trouble. Or if you're like a passive-aggressive parent, you're just like, okay, I'm not going to deal with that right now. Um, which, you know, sometimes we're like, it's not worth the fight. Let's just let it go. Uh, but this idea of surrender. So I looked up the word, the word surrender in the dictionary. There's a few words in there. And one is cease, cease resistance uh, to an opponent and submit to their authority, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, give up or hand over, uh, which is usually uh, a ride or a possession or something. Uh, that's typically on compulsion or, or by demand. Uh, and another one was abandon, and I love this one, abandons oneself entirely to something. Abandon oneself entirely to, and it says, you know, somebody powerful or an emotion or an influence uh, or given into. And, and so as hu- human beings, as people, this idea of surrender is usually an idea that comes with force. 
We are forced to surrender something. And we live in a country where we have freedoms, right? Today, we can openly meet and look at God's word, spend time in God's word and meet freely. We don't have to worry about uh, state police coming in uh, and hauling us off to jail uh, or killing us. And so we have that freedom. If you want to go to the grocery store and you want to get one of, you know, 20 varieties of bread, you can go to the grocery store this morning afterwards and go get bread. So we have this freedom in this country. So when we talk about surrender, we tend to get a little bit, you know, fearful or worried about our rights that are going to be taken. And when we look at Saul and his journey as he was on the road to Damascus, you know, Jesus showed up in a really big way. The lights around, he was blinded. The rest of the people around him weren't blinded. And, and I, you know, the interesting thing that I, when I was reading this and studying this is that, you know, who is this? And he says, this is Jesus who you're persecuting. Which really tells us in here, like, so it's Christians that he's persecuting and that as Christians, as, as believers, right, that uh, the Holy Spirit resides in us and we are his people and as uh, Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul, is persecuting believers, it is like persecuting Jesus. And it's that idea of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Like the, this oneness uh, that happens uh, when we are Christians. And so Saul, and I'll try to refer to him as Paul from, from now on, is that Paul surrendered ultimately his life to Jesus' calling. Right? And we sometimes, I think, forget this idea of, of what it means to surrender as a Christian. Especially, you know, for me, I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. It really hit me when I was a freshman in high school, what that really meant, how to live that out, and the things that I needed to do as a Christian. But over time, uh, you know, that was, uh, that, was, that was a long time ago. I was, I was going to do the math, but it's, it's, it's a lot of math. And... Uh, and, and my wife and I were talking about this this morning on their way over. Uh, our 26th anniversary is coming up. Uh, it happens to fall on Thanksgiving this year. So we are having a very big meal for our uh, anniversary. And 26 years, we're like, man, that's really a long time. That's like over half my life. I have been married to my wonderful wife. And she's like, I've been married to my wonderful husband. And uh, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, this, this idea of, of surrender and, you know, our marriage and our kids and my walk with Christ and her walk with Christ and our, and our kids. And what, what does that look like? Because we get into these patterns, right? And we get into routines, especially when you have kids. Like, what, what time did you put, if you had kids, what time did you put them to bed? Just shout it out. I'm curious. 7.30 p.m. at night. All right, early, early. Anybody else? 6 p.m. Wow. Did you say 9? That's like three hours difference between your kids and your kids. That's, that's a big difference. Anybody else? Anybody not impose a bedtime on their kids? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody wants to. Uh, in our house, it was 8 o'clock. Uh, that's usually 8 o'clock. And if they, they could go to their room, they could read a book for half an hour or an hour. Uh, as they got older, extended 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And uh, some nights they weren't happy about that. And of course, on holidays and stuff, you did, uh, you did um, extra, you know, let them stay up late and do things and family visits. But, but as parents and as families, right, we get in these routines and these structures, and we kind of just motor along doing that. And I, I think sometimes we forget what it really meant when we first became a Christian and surrendering our lives uh, to Christ. 
you know, Paul here, he's, he's on that road, and he's not doing anything illegal, right? He had papers from uh, the synagogue to be able to, uh, you know, arrest and bound and bring back to Jerusalem the people of the way, these Christians. And so Paul wasn't really doing anything wrong. It's, it's that God had a plan for him and a purpose for him, and he stopped him in his tracks. And I know for me, I didn't get, you know, I wasn't walking along in high school and this blinding light happened and, you know, you know, between first and second period and I'm on my knees and that didn't happen. But, you know, it's, it's the people in my life that, that were uh, sharing the gospel with me and telling me about Jesus that I would eventually one day uh, know him. And so Paul got stopped in his tracks and surrendered his life. And you know, he wrote a third of the New Testament. We can, we can read about Paul's life. We can see the things that he went through and everything that he did and what that surrender costed him ultimately. We can look at people in the Bible and, and ultimately they're, you know, the disciples and the apostles and the way that they were martyred for their faith. And we see what ultimate surrender costed them. And so, you know, for us as Christians, I think we, we sometimes forget what the absolute surrender to Christ looks like. And, you know, for some in this room that you may not even be a Christian, you, may, you don't know who Jesus is, you may have wandered in here this morning, you might have come with a family member, you might have felt uh, compelled for some other reason to be here, and, and you are wandering on that road and don't know who Jesus is, and this morning he is calling to you, speaking to you. We were talking about it openly this morning, and maybe today is your day as you're traveling that road uh, that you will give your life to Christ, because things should change, they're supposed to change, and I think for us, uh, of giving up our will is often, is often hard, and so, you know, as we look to surrender, what are the things that we should do? Uh, let's go ahead and finish that second part of that uh, verse up, starting in verse 13. It says, uh, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And there has been authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. They immediately they fell, uh, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight, got up, and was baptized, and took food and was strengthened. Might have been a church potluck there at the end. Uh, there's always food somewhere, you know, with baptism and food. But we, we see here Ananias. Ananias is a, is a believer. He's a, he's a believer uh, in Christ. He's a follower. And he uh, is in Damascus. He's doing his thing as, he's, as a Christian. And uh, Paul has lost his sight. He's in the house on a, on a street called Straight. And, you know, Jesus speaks to Ananias. I think this, this is extremely important, Ananias' role in this, is that Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go to this location, to this man. And everybody knows who, who Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul, is, right? He, Ananias runs the risk of going in that house and being what? Arrested, bound, uh, hauled off back to Jerusalem, or possibly even killed. And so Ananias, at this point, has some excuses. I right? says, well... I've heard about this guy. 
uh, he's persecuted your people back in Jerusalem. He's got authority to do and to haul me off, to kill me. He has that authority from the chief priests to do that. But Jesus says, hey, I have a plan for him. And part of his plan is my plan for you to go uh, and speak to him, to go pray over him. And ultimately, obviously, we see Ananias went. Ananias called pulled Jonah, you know, gone the other way, left town. Um, but Ananias was, was faithful in, in ultimately surrendering his will to what Jesus was asking him to do. And, and through that, we tend to call that probably obedience, right? Obedience. Because ultimately, I always, I always tell students at school, you know, if you are in first period, and if you don't want to go to second period, you don't have to. You can walk out the doors if you want to. Right? They could do that. But with that comes consequences. Because you're not following a schedule, you are not being obedient to what your schedule is supposed to be, and the administration is going to get upset, your parents are going to get upset. But that choice is still there. That, that choice is still there to do that, but the consequences that come with that uh, are something else. And so Ananias is, has that obedience of what, he, what, what Jesus asks him, at, asks him to do. And so we, we see this, right? That, and he addresses him as brother Saul. I mean, we don't have any more dialogue in the Bible that goes on between the two of them other than he goes brother Saul, which is what a term of endearment, like brother John, brother Sean, brother Jerry. All right, we, it's, it's a term of, of fellowship in, in faith. And that's how Ananias addresses him. So Ananias, trusting what Jesus is saying to him, right, and ultimately... If you break this apart, I had to think, I was, how long did Ananias sit on this information? Did he just sit there and go, well, God said, you know, he said that, you know, he's going to be to the Gentiles, the sons of Israel, and the kings, and ultimately that's everybody, right? Because if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So you got that. And then the kings, the rulers, the authority. So, so Paul's going to have this, this great witness and, and testimony. And Ananias, who doesn't have a book of the Bible, Right? We just see that he went, ministered to Paul as Jesus instructed him to, and we see where, where Paul went. You know, it, in our lives, if you have been a believer, and if you've been a believer for a long time, this is, this is what I've realized, because, you know, I've, I've been a believer for a long time, is that, you know, people who are non-believers, people who are new Christians, right, need somebody to come up behind them, to minister to them, to instruct them, to disciple them, to give them their, their knowledge and their wisdom uh, in their faith and in life. And, and you know, I, I know it's hard because some, some students, some kids, some teenagers, young adults don't want instructions because they might think they know it all. Uh, but, but it's important as we get older in our faith is to, one, be, uh, to understand what God calls us to do of, of daily surrender, but also to a generation that's behind us or two generations behind us. Uh, the thing that I've learned over the years, and especially this last year and a half, is that um, that you can have a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old who, while they don't have the knowledge and the wisdom, can lead a Bible study with their peers or uh, be in a group with adults and, and try to uh, lead and grow in their faith. And, and sometimes we don't give the opportunity for that, and sometimes we just, like, okay, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Uh, but there is such a need and, and such a, uh, a disconnect between generations uh, for, for various reasons. And Ananias uh, here uh, was faithful uh, in really 
uh, what Saul, uh, what Paul would, would ultimately do, uh, not only uh, in this, but in writing a third of the, the New Testament and how that would impact ultimately the world. When, when God said here that, you know, it's for the Gentiles, the sons of Israel, and the kings, like, we can read this, and Ananias can go, well, I don't understand that. But we can look at it and go, yeah, God did that through Paul. Like, God, God did that through his word, uh, through, his, through Paul's missionary journeys. Um, and so that's a reminder for us. And, and Ananias had to surrender. Paul surrendered his life to Christ. I, you know, it was, it, was 20, it was 26 years ago that uh, I surrendered to, to ministry. I, I'd come back for my second time here in Arkansas as a summer missionary. And that idea of, of surrendering to ministry, because we use that a lot, like ministers, like you surrender to God's call. And I remember that. It was in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, after, your, after all of our summer missionaries around North America. We would go back to Ridgecrest in North Carolina, and we had a big student week, and we had debriefing meetings, and what did you learn? What are some things? This, that, and the other. And, and so uh, I just remember God, God's call on my life at that point said, I think God's calling me to ministry. And in that process, I was engaged to get married. We were getting married that November, and this is like August. And I, I didn't know what that idea of surrendering to ministry meant. I just knew that I felt like God was calling me. But what, you know, what, I didn't know the road I was going to travel uh, for the last 26 years. And, and, and part of that, you know, I go to camp, my campus minister, who's still doing campus ministry at University of Florida, and uh, not that he was there at the time, because I'm not a UF fan by, by any stretch. Uh, the imagination, just got to clarify that since it's being recorded. Um, and so, uh, and I'm like, hey, you know, Eddie, what does this mean? And he's like, well, uh, look for a church. And I didn't know the questions to ask. I found a, a church looking for part-time youth because I had been working with students for the last two, two years already anyway through our, our missions, things that we were doing. And... And so I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know where I was going. And, you know, at the time, my fiance, who's now my wife, said, hey, I'm, I sense like God's calling me into ministry. I have no clue what that means. I have no idea what I'm doing. I know I got classes in the fall, but you still want to get married. Like, do you still want to marry me? Because I don't know. I, have, I am more lost today than I was yesterday, even though God's called me to something. And she said yes, because obviously we're married, and uh, uh, she's still with me and has not killed me yet. Uh, we have moved 20 plus times. We have uh, been in three states. Uh, we've been in Arkansas twice, Florida, Florida tw twice, I think. And uh, we've, we've moved. Uh, we found some, uh, we just threw away some cornbread mix that was like four years old from another state. Um, we once had a can of peas that made it through three states in like 10 years. Uh, when you're somewhere there's not a Winn-Dixie and you're like why do we have Winn-Dixie food and you realize it's, it's beyond its date and it's canned so uh, and, and so you know when we give our lives to Christ and, and he calls us to something sometimes we don't understand and we don't know what he's doing and, and we struggle I, when I lost my keys uh, Russell always tells me golf is, golf's going to give me more uh, sermon illustrations that I could probably ever imagine and sure enough that's true so when I lost my keys I, I, I was really 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 panicked and really worried uh, mostly because car keys today are expensive and and we're like an hour and a half from home and 
how am I going to get home and the key fobs and all that kind of stuff. And that really got me thinking about my keys. And, and I've, got a, I've got a lot of keys. And uh, how many of you all have uh, house keys on your, on your key ring? Anybody have house keys? Probably. We don't ever use them unless you get the garage door doesn't open. But, um, but like the house keys, right? You lock the doors to keep people out that you don't want in your house. And, and for me, my house keys are probably more easily replaceable than some of the, the other ones because I have spare keys other places. But it, but it really got me thinking when I lost my keys is everything that's important that I have to something is on my key ring. And that God really calls me to uh, surrender all of me, everything that I have. So like my house, my house, that's where my family's at. If I ever have grandchildren and they're there. So my house is my family. It's the stuff we have. It's where people come over. And the keys to my house uh, keep my house locked and protected. So what am I doing with my house? What am I doing with my family? Have I surrendered my family? Have I surrendered my house? Ultimately, it's God's house anyway that he's given it to me and he's entrusted it to me. So my house, what am I, am, am I surrendering my house uh, to uh what God want me to do with it. So, you know, we're, we, we remodel our house and we're looking to do some, you know, have, have different groups over, people over, Bible studies and, and other things with our house. So honoring God and surrendering our house uh, to, to him. Uh, the other one is my church keys, which we have a master key for all doors and um, which is somewhat replaceable maybe. It'd be, take me, I, did, I actually did not get a church key until six months after working here. So, uh, I don't know what that meant. Had some ideas, uh, but we had the digital pads, you know, so I didn't didn't need it. Really need a key anyway. I did have a key to the upstairs, uh, but the church key. So every time I come to church, I have to pretty much use a key or use a keypad to get in, which is like having a key. So when I come to church, in the areas that I'm responsible for, the people that I'm shepherding, leading, am I honoring God? Am I surrendering my life and my will to Him uh, in that? And so. You know, the, the things that I do, the, the small groups that I have, the Bible studies that I have, am I honoring God? Am I surrendering the students, the adults, uh, to uh, the work of the Lord through, through church? Uh, my, other, my other one is my car key. And, you know, am I using my car the way God would want me to use the car? Have I surrendered my car to him to use for his purposes? And although I've been driving a lot less the last uh, year and a half or so, uh, but I, I want to honor God with where I'm going, what I'm doing, who I'm with, and what I'm doing with I'm, when I'm with those people uh, so that they would see and know uh, who I am, what I believe. Uh, probably, and let's see, that's my church, my church keys, my house keys, my car keys. Uh, I have a couple keys. I have no idea what, what they are on my key ring. Anybody have a key on their key ring? I don't know what it is, this key. I have no idea what it goes to. And I have another key here that doesn't go to. Um, but probably... Probably one of the most important keys on my key ring, uh, and these are all pretty important, uh, is I actually have school keys. Uh, I, I coach a couple sports at the school, and so I need to get keys in, mostly get to the emergency equipment in case something should happen uh, amongst other things. And so uh, my, my school keys. And what is it, you know, every time I'm on campus, every time I'm going into a building, I do substitute every now and then, or when I'm coaching, is what... What's my attitude? Have I surrendered what God has called me to, to do on that campus uh, for those that I uh, might reach? And so when I, when I lost those keys, I was trying to figure out who I was going to call first to tell them I lost their keys. 
which I figured the school would probably be the worst, uh, just because uh, it's, I know I can get a house key pretty quick and I can get a church key uh, pretty good. Uh, and then the question is, do we rekey everything? And then I feel bad for a while about that. And uh, but but the, the school keys and, and the uh, influence uh, that I have with students there. Uh, I use James as an example. Which I, I did you prepare what you're going to come up and say this morning? <laughs> Just kidding, James. We talked about it, but uh, I, was, uh, uh, I love James. Uh, outside my own family, I spend more time with James probably than anybody. Would you? You probably. We'd probably say that. So he runs cross country. That's, we just finished four months of tra- practice and season. Uh, you're going to do track this year probably again. Pro- probably. Just don't shrug your shoulders in front of all these people. And God, are, you're doing track. Uh, and track lasts about three months. So about seven months out of the year, we're in practice. He's in youth group. Uh, he's in student leadership. We meet every other Sunday night. Uh, sometimes he's hanging out at the house, him and John hanging out. And so there are weeks, some weeks, where I will have see James seven days a week. And there are times, James, where I'm not nice. That, would you say that's correct? Yes, he's, he's not disagreeing. Uh, because we spend a lot of time together, and sometimes you get irritated. Uh, we get irritated at home, you get irritated with your kids, you get irritated with your spouse. Uh, you get irritated at work, you get irritated... Uh, work for me is church, but sometimes you get irritated with people. Sometimes you get irritated with systems. Some things, sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes people don't show up on time. Sometimes they don't show up at all. Um, and so James has seen me really irritated at times, some, uh, at practice and at school. And some weeks, uh, there was a week or two, I just kept apologizing to people because I just was not doing very well uh, with things. And so, uh, but it's hard because people are always watching and people always seeing what you're doing. And if, and, and James is in student leadership with me. And we, we talk about things like this and the way we live our lives. And if, and if I say that from up here, there's, you know, 100 plus in here that I'm accountable to. If you see me in my car cutting people off, honking at them, uh, yelling out my window, which I don't do any of that. Uh, that's my wife. And so, that's a true story. She's from Miami. She's, she's from Miami. And, uh, and so, uh. Uh, but when I do those things, right, people go, man, what's wrong with you or what's going on? Or, or James can be like, hey, uh, you're being a little, little being a little mean there or you're being a little harsh or are you, are you okay? Like, no, I'm not okay. That's why I'm being, I'm being mean. And, and so my keys have become, you know, over the last, since I lost those keys, um, which I'm not mad at Al or Kenny uh, or, or Russell. Uh, Russell was peer pressured into, into being quiet when I said, hey, did you see my keys? And, and they didn't. But but the, the, at the end of the day, I was happy to have my keys. Like, my problems were resolved. And though they were kind of playing around and messing around, uh, I, I wasn't, like, upset or angry or anything. I had kind of chuckled, but I was more relieved that I had my keys and, and be able to use this as an illustration for today. Um, but now when I carry my keys around, I think about the responsibilities that I have. I think about what's been entrusted to me, what, what God has called me to do in, in those different areas of my life and surrendering uh, my will uh, to his will in those areas. Uh, this idea of, of, of surrender, and there's a book, um, it's by Andrew Murray, it's called Absolute Surrender, and it's actually just, a, it's, uh, he was in the 1800s, late 1800s, and uh, he was in uh, South Africa in the Cape there, and for 38 years he prayed for revival uh, for his area. He was uh, Dutch Reformed, uh, which is pretty much just to that area, 
uh, went off uh, to uh, seminary, came back, and was leading a church down there. And he prayed for revival uh, for 38 years. And, and revival actually would break out. Uh, and then about 16, 17 years later, there was a resurgence. And revival lasted in the area for about 50 years. And so, uh, absolute surrender. This is a, a, somebody compiled a bunch of his sermons. So I, I want to share a section out of this, which I think this was written in 1860, I believe, is when this was written. But I, uh, people haven't changed very much, I don't think. And so here's, here's what he wrote. This is an excerpt from his sermon. It says, Oh, we find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will. We should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. We make our own plans and choose our own work, and then we ask the Lord Jesus to come in and take care, uh, to take care that sin will not conquer us too much and that we shall not go too far wrong. We ask him to come in and give us much of his blessing, but our relationship to Jesus ought to be such that we are entirely at his disposal. And every day come to him humbly and straightforwardly and say, Lord, is there anything in me that is not according to thy will, uh, that has not been uh, ordered by thee, or that is not entirely given up to thee? Oh, if we would wait and wait patiently, I tell you what the result would be. There would spring up a relationship between us and Christ so close and so tender that we should afterward be amazed at how we formerly could have lived with the idea, I am surrendered to Christ. We should feel how far distant our intercourse with him has previously been and that he can and does indeed come and take actual possession of us and give us unbroken fellowship all the day. Uh, the branch calls us to absolute surrender. And talking about the branch, he's talking about uh, abiding um, uh, in there in that, in, that, in that passage about abiding. And, yeah, I read through this book um, and it's just a series of old sermons from the 18 uh, late... 1850s and 60s, and a man who wanted to see revival in his area of the world, and for 38 years uh, prayed. You know, I've been I've been specifically praying for stuff for the last two years and haven't seen movement, and it gets discouraging. 38 years is a really long time to be faithful uh, in prayer, and ultimately surrendering yourself. And, and for a man who was spending the time. Um, trying to, to share the gospel with people around him to ultimately, when that revival uh, would break out. If you've got a hymnal, uh, 275, if you want to open up to 275. I, I don't recall ever singing that uh, here at the church any time lately, but 275. I... I uh, most of you know I am not a math person by, by any means, and I am more of a, my major was English for my undergrad, and, and I was uh, doing a lot of history, and so that stuff kind of really uh, engages me. And when I talk, you know, I was thinking about this idea of ultimate surrender, what does that look like? Well, this hymn, this hymn kind of popped up into my mind. It's been a long time since I, I sang it. It's only three verses. It's, it's pretty simple. I will not attempt for you, to sing it for you today for, for your blessing. And... Um, but I want to look, uh, let's just, I'm just going to read this out loud starting in verse, uh, verse 1. It says, uh, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Uh, all to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, 
truly know that thou art mine, that you are mine. And the third verse says, uh, uh, Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. And I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And I was really, you know, what, man, this is, if, if you actually lived what you're singing in this verse, in, in, this, in this hymn, that's a lot. Like all, all means all, like 100%. Um, we, we joke in cross country about giving 102%, uh, which you can only give 100% because that's all you have. Uh, you can't give give any more than 100%. But, but we, and we kind of joke about that, or we need 110%, like you need to give all you can and then some, but there's only all that you can give. And all is all, not part of it. And, and part of that quote from that sermon and, and this hymn right here, like all is all. And so I really wanted to know who Judson Van Deventner was, lived from 1855 to 1939. I wanted to know who he was and how this hymn came about. And the interesting thing uh, about Judson is that he was an art teacher. Uh, does anybody know the history of this hymn? I, anybody else say, I'm bored, let's look up the history of hymns. Um, so, I, like, who's Judson? So I, I looked it up. He was an art teacher. And he was actually a really, really good art teacher that he taught art at his school. And he uh, oversaw some different schools and art teachers there. But he was also a musician on the side and uh, uh, performed and, and stuff on the side. And, and he would sing in church uh, sometimes. And so somebody came to him and said, Hey, Judson, uh, I think God's calling you to ministry, uh, to, to be like a worship pastor. And so for five years, Judson contemplated that idea of, of leaving teaching and becoming uh, a music minister, a music pastor. And so for five years, he struggled with that. And the first hymn that he wrote was... I surrender all. And he went into ministry uh, at that point uh, and then never looked back at working in the schools and all that. So he, uh, and so he was all in. He surrendered all. And, and he penned this. And, and then just take this a step further, uh, which is really interesting, is that um, he would eventually uh, somewhat retire and move to Florida, Temple Terrace, which we actually lived in Temple Terrace, uh, the Florida, Florida Bible Institute, uh, was in Temple Terrace uh, that, that was founded back in the early 1920s. And so he actually went there for four years to teach hymnology, which is the study of hymns and writing and singing. And with what he was doing and in ministry, he opened his house uh, for Bible study and for worship. And one of the people that sat in his living room was Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham, even I, I looked through, then it took me to Billy Graham, looked through, and Billy Graham uh, uh, for, for with, with uh, Judson said, hey, you know, he, he really pushed me and uh, challenged me into ministry. Uh, that's Billy, Billy, Billy Graham. And so, uh, of course, Judson would, would pass away because he was, he was later on in his years. Uh, and Billy Graham was just a little young little guy. And, and so, but Judson being faithful to spending time with the younger generation, to pouring into them, to having Bible studies and worship and would ultimately see, uh, would, well, he wouldn't be able to see on, on, this, side of, on this side of heaven of, of what Billy Graham, who he was, what he did, and the evangelist he became. And, you know, it's much like Ananias. Ananias was just a guy who was just living in Damascus doing what God told him to do. 
and, and ultimately would, uh, would minister to Paul and Paul would go off and do uh, and write and, and be what God has called him to do. And so this morning, you know, you know I don't, I'm not sure where anybody is in your faith journey. I mean, you can kind of tell and talking to people and, uh, you know, you've known me for a while. I've known some of you uh, for a while now, going on, on four or five years. Um, but, but ultimately, only God knows what's in your heart and in your mind. And, and have you surrendered to him wholly? Uh, maybe, maybe today you're here, you're not a believer. You don't know who Jesus is. You just happen to be here. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to him. Or maybe you're a believer here this morning and, and this idea of surrender and what it means, what it looks like has not been in your life in 100% or all. And I think that would probably be all of us because we're human. We struggle. Uh, we, we get into routines and structures and, and surrendering is, is hard. It's, it's not easy to give up. Right? It, it's just like earlier I said, ma- marriage. When you get married, right, you give up your will to your spouse. Or at least you, you should. I, I'm not very good at it. I'm a selfish person. Uh, my wife, I'll say, yeah, well, you're, you're the same way. Just, she's just a little bit better at it. Uh, she's more uh, yielding. Uh, I, can, I can get bossy sometimes. And, uh, but, but it's like that marriage relationship. It's, it's, uh, or having a best friend or having friends, right? You, you don't always get your way. You don't always want. You don't always uh, use people to get what you want. You, you uh, build those relationships and you surrender the things you want because of the relationships you have and so God calls us to surrender to him so we would have a relationship uh, with him. And so this morning, uh, the altar is open. If you want to come, we're, uh, today was the, the day for our shoebox collection. And so we're also going to have a time of prayer. If you want to get your box and come forward and pray, if there's extra boxes back there you want to grab uh, and bring up and pray. But we're going to have a time of prayer uh, now. So if you want to go get your box, you can. If you want to come to the altar and pray, uh, Operation Christmas Child, uh, we've been doing that for years here. I've been doing it many places I've been. And to, to see the impact that it has in the lives of, of kids, one, by providing some, some needs and things for them, uh, and then as uh, Samaritan's Purse goes in there uh, and shares uh, the gospel with them. So uh, if you want to go grab your box, you can go grab it now. I don't, I don't mind. Unless you already have it. Or grab an extra one. They're on the table in the back. Some of you already have a box. If you don't want to come up and pray with your box, you can stay where you're at and pray. Uh, it's a, another opportunity. If you want to just go grab a box and bring it and pray for it, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine. It's up to you. My wife's bossy. If you want to grab one, grab one and bring them, bring them to the front. Yeah, even if you didn't bring one, you want to, you want to grab one and pray for it and we'll come to the altar and pray. In your spiritual journey, uh, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. Brother Sean will be back tomorrow. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, we, we want to see people saved and discipled and pursuing Christ with all that they are. So... We'll give it a couple more seconds here. I do want to thank everybody that's, that packed a box. Uh, I have no idea who packed boxes, but uh, you can track them with the QR code on there and be able to, to do that. So, 
Let's pray. All right, let's pray. Lord, this morning we are thankful for the opportunity to gather this morning, Lord. Just, I, I pray for everybody in this room, Lord. I pray for everybody that's watching online. I, I pray, uh, Lord, that you uh, call us to a life of uh, surrendering our will to you, Lord. And, and for each of us, that probably looks a little bit different. Uh, Lord, I know it looks different for me than it does for my kids and it does for my wife, uh, what you have called me to do. Lord, I, I pray uh, for everybody in this room. Lord, I pray for those in here who may not have a relationship with you, have not surrendered their life and their will to you, Lord. Uh, and today could be the day to start uh, their spiritual journey. Lord, I pray for, for those in here who are struggling uh, with it. Uh, Lord, uh, even now I know that you are speaking to uh, our minds and, and our hearts and your desires for us. Lord, I, I pray uh, for these boxes. Lord, I, I pray for the country that they go to. I pray for the, the boys and the girls that will receive them. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that the kids that re receive them, Lord, and the ad adults around them, the leaders around them, the opportunity to pour the gospel into their life, Lord, to, to meet their basic needs, Lord, to, to be able to share the gospel with them, Lord, to be able to, to educate them. Uh, Lord, what a, a ministry this, this is to be able to do this and that we would have a, a, just a small part uh, in doing that and an opportunity to do that. Lord, and I'm uh, so thankful for, for this church. Uh, Lord, so thankful for the people uh, here. Lord, so thankful for the, the town and the, the county and the state that we have the opportunity to minister into, that we would be a people uh, that would seek you, that love you, and serve you uh, with all that you are. And it's in your name we pray.